Mean and angry Hear that local shouting It's Dainer and Jay It's Dainer and Jay Alright, welcome into the latest edition I'm Pat Scrowlin Paul Dainer Jr. and Jay Morrison of the Athletic, excited to be with you on a uh, day after the Bengals beat the Kansas City Chiefs twenty-seven to twenty-four, moved to eight and four on the year. There is lots to unpack. This is our Bengals lunchtime live room. It's back, Jay. It's back. It feels like it's been a long time. They it felt yesterday felt like a long time since we had been at Paycor Stadium. Um, but yes, it's it's good to be back. I really like doing these and, and hearing from everybody that drops in and, and ask us questions, which I'm sure you guys have many. Yes, it's been. This is one of those days where I know I know fans do this. I I like to do this, and this is the case after consequential losses too, but specifically after consequential wins. It's so interesting sifting through everything the next morning. I find myself, you know, reaching noon. And being like, oh, I haven't even gotten started on any of my work because I've just been kind of diving <laughs> and trying to sift through the rubble of of everything and figure out, you know, where to go next and, and what it all means. And there's so much great content across our site, um, across other sites, and and so many people that do good things. It's it's really uh, been an interesting morning, and there's there's a lot to unpack with these Bengals right now. There is uh, certainly no doubt uh, about that. Um, you guys have questions uh, that you would like to ask? Just put your name and request to speak up there, and j- hop in the queue, and we will call on you. Uh, if you just want to drop some questions into the chat, you can do that. So we would love to see you drop some or just comments. Uh, tell us what we're wrong about. We're used to hearing that, uh, and uh, anything you want to drop in there. And uh, we'll we'll try to address what we can. We'll be back with our regular podcast tomorrow on Tuesday, and then on Thursday we will have the, uh, of course, our preview edition for the Browns game coming up uh, next week. A big one back in division against you know they go from the team that they only beat to the team that they can't beat. Jay, and it's totally reversed from what you would expect it to be. Yeah, it is. No, nobody certainly expects that. Oh, yeah. No problem with Patrick Mahomes. It's those pesky Browns uh, <laughs> that are constantly getting underneath the Bengals skins. But uh, uh, we'll, so we'll, we'll plenty to get to uh, with all of that stuff. Um, so the athletic football show, if you if that's not one of your regular listens, it really should be. Um, in particular because of late, it's become sort of just a Bengals stand show. Like it, <laughs> the first 20 minutes of three of their last four episodes have just been essentially them, um, fawning all over the Bengals and their evolution offensively and discussing how they're playing, the nature in which they're winning, uh, creating such sustainability and being so, drastically different from the way they were winning last year, not discrediting the way they were winning last year, but pointing out this is such a stronger foundation that they have built 
specifically offensively in the way that they've evolved this year. You, of course, heard us talk a lot about that. Uh, Nate and Robert, two of the smartest minds in our business, and it's been fun to listen to them. Today's episode, I'm particularly going to give a shout uh, about the first 20 minutes is, is, is all of that. So highly recommend giving them a listen too. Jay, we need to get, I think, I think Nate might need to be a, a future guest on our show here very soon because he is, uh, he is in love with, uh, the moves the Bengals coaching staff have done offensively in the way that they are playing. Yeah, I would love to have him on. And, and I know a lot of people uh, are busy. They, they have their jobs, their families. And sometimes it's hard to listen to a bunch of podcasts, um, but would recommend um, adding that one to your rotation. And if you're not able to, then then maybe we can at least give them a little flavor of it by having Nate on. Yeah, absolutely. No, they do. They do a great job over there. Highly recommend putting it in there. Let's. um. All right. Let's dive in. Let's Let's go questions. I see some stuff in the chat already. Uh, I'll go over to the queue and we'll start right out at the top. Uh, and remember, unmute your line when you come up. If you feel like you're not hearing us, that's usually what the issue is. All right. Robert E. Let's bring you up onto the stage. Uh, Robert, how are you doing? Hello. Doing well, guys. How are you? Awesome. Doing good. Okay. Yeah. You can tell me. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Sounds great. Um, my, I'm, last night was crazy. I'm sure you can hear how hoarse my, hoarse my voice is. I've got an early <laughs> headache. Um, I don't really have a question. Um, I just wanted to come in and talk, you know, about hindsight and the cycle of the season. I, I was in this live room previously and I was talking about, you know, divisional tiebreakers and what that might look like for the team to possibly win the division. And at the time I thought like the only way they're making the playoffs is they can win the division, you know, but they're Oh, two in the division after that, you know, that was after they got beat down by the Browns. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have that you have that Browns loss. You have that sandwich between the two blowouts of the Falcons and the Panthers. And then you go to the Steelers, you know, can he pick up can he pick it puts up 30, you know, but, you know, they're just, you know, but through all that, you know, they're stacking wins. They're getting better. People missing time. And then all of a sudden you blink and you look at they got two wins over two of the top teams in the conference and they're in stone's throw the one seed. So, you know, I don't want to overlook, you know, the, the Browns, Bucks, Patriots, but, you know, they're kind of struggling. And, um, but if they keep playing like this, you know, keep streaking, stacking these wins, you know, the season's gonna be punctuated by two big games of the Bills and Ravens, you know, and that's just what I envision this year, you know, with the, you know, in the future with Joe Burrow. And even though it's hard to make the Super Bowls, it's just so fun to be competitive and, and be watching these great games. So that's a long, very long winded to say that just wanted to talk about how much has changed since last time I was here and just how quickly it feels like it's just been snap of a finger and the season's like turned around. So no, that's, that's, uh, that, Thanks, that's a, that's a, that's a great point, Robert. And uh, I appreciate you uh, dropping back in on us. The stark difference between the last <laughs> Jay after that Monday nighter <laughs> against Cleveland. You know, I do, I do look back on that. I mean, it's the last time they lost. I, I do look back on that and it did feel very dark after that game you had the cheeto injury that they were fresh off of you had all the concerns of what they were going to do without chase this i think what robert said is correct jay and that's they got to this point that you expected them to be at right now this is where i think before the season started you assumed the Bengals would be on december 5th um it's just <laughs> the challenging, circuitous route they had to go through to get here has been, you know, the, the sort of nauseating roller coaster we've referenced along the way this season has, has been the surprise. 
But it's really not that surprising. It's just when you experience it, the life of high expectations, it sometimes feels that way. But the bottom line is the great teams, the ones that are meant to try to make runs, they do position themselves where by the time they reach this point in the season, they're becoming who they were supposed to be. That be that, and that's what you feel when you talk around the locker room, when you talk to people off the record internally in the organization, is that they do seem to have. It took time, but they got to where everything they expected to be at this point. Yeah, it took time, and they got to where they expected to be. But honestly, if they are ahead of where they were last year. It's almost a carbon copy of last year where they kind of find their footing and take off and they're getting an earlier start on that this year, even than they did last year. It was more mid-December when you saw this really kind of click last year. And, and what he said, what Robert said about the snap of the finger, it was two, maybe three weeks ago on the AFC North whip around, we were breaking down the race and I predicted the Ravens would win the division by three games. And I'm not, I'm not too proud to admit I was totally wrong. And it's not because I didn't think the Bengals were capable of it, capable of this. I thought the Ravens had such a cushy schedule. They were going to, they're just going to boat race the rest of this division. And that is not happening at all. And, and he's right that the, the division is in play. The number one seeded, everything is in play for this team right now. And the, it's crazy to think that the, the, I don't know if you want to say the biggest, but maybe the most curious stumbling block in front of them is a bad Browns team coming up this Sunday. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, the AFC North race, it's, it's, it's partially who you play. And that was part of the setup you know, of why it seemed that the Ravens had such a significant advantage. Football Outsiders today has the Ravens at 53% to win the division and the Bengals at 44. That schedule still plays. And that's with a slight correction made for an assumption that Lamar Jackson will miss this weekend's game for them in Pittsburgh. Um, but, you know, it's it's how you play. It's it's how you're playing, right? It's the what they're yelling. Mark Duffner again yesterday. They got to play us, right? I think we're going to hear that after every single <laughs> game in the post game speech at this point uh, from Duff, who might lose his voice just from yelling that uh, every single week. But you know, I, I think it is. It's, it's how you're playing, and that's what the Bengals are proving right now. Is throw the schedules up out. Uh, they, when you feel like you're the best team in football, uh, it, it shouldn't matter who you play. Uh, all right, let's. With so many questions, so many people in here. Thank you to everybody that has come in and is listening and dropping stuff in the chat. We're going to do our best to try to crank through it, even though I am insanely long winded and can't stop myself from talking. I apologize, Alexander N. Let's bring you up onto the stage, Alexander. What's going on? Are, are you guys down to here? A really uh, disgusting uh, good luck charm that has kind of evolved at my house. And swearing, okay. Insanely nervous about that setup, Alexander. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so it starts Go ahead. The, divisional, the, the divisional round against the Titans, okay? I'm super sick with the flu, and for the first time in my adult life, only time in my adult life, I shit my pants, all right? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and we know how that went. Please tell me they're not hanging up. No, no, no. no. And then, <laughs> and then uh, the AFC Championship game, my newborn – has a massive blowout diaper. gets all over my Jamar Chase jersey. We know how that goes. <laughs> Yesterday, my potty training three-year-old shits his pants. <laughs> and he's he just happens to be wearing a Joe Mixon jersey. And we know how that went. So it's it's it is not it's not necessary, but in my house, if somebody shits their pants wearing a Bengals jersey, they are going to win. 
I cannot explain this. Well, your game day meal should be Jaeger and Skyline for the rest of the season. <laughs> Don't wish that on me, but I mean, I'll, I'll take one for the team if I need to. Wow, this could be the invention of the uh, Bengals jersey diapers that you'll just have to have. You know, the kids will have to wear every Sunday, I guess, as they. You take maybe does it have to be a current jersey? Could you take like an old Carson Palmer or something like that that you have stashed in the back and just start oh, wrapping them with it on Sundays and just wait for it to happen? I got plenty. I got Delta O'Neill. I got Perfect. I got uh, Dukeway hanging up somewhere. There you go. Send all your old send all your old Bengals jerseys to Alexander N. Uh, <laughs> he's putting them to me. good use. Apparently, I don't want anybody knowing my real name or address with this story. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Thank you for coming on. I, I appreciate you sharing. It was very bold to come on and uh, instantly open with a crap in your pants story. Uh, oh, yeah, man. You are you are uh, an incredible man. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> well, thank All you, right. Alexander. We're off to a good start, Jay. We are wow. we are rolling now. Uh, Where do we go from there? I, I got to say, I not quite see that one coming. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. We'll go next and bring uh, Aaron B. up onto the stage. Uh, Aaron, what's going on? Hear me? Hey, yes. there we go. Hey, not much. Um, so in response to the previous uh, uh, talker, um, I'm a home health occupational therapist, <laughs> and you are never potty trained in life. It's just the frequency changes, and it will come back eventually. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that, um, that that's the direction this this, this uh, live room has gone now. Does everyone have to make some reference to to this along the way? I, I hope not. I hope we eventually can move forward. But I appreciate the help. I appreciate the, uh, the perspective. We all needed it. Aaron, what do you got? Um, Jay, my question is for you as an Ohio State fan. Do you ever um, sit back? And just kind of be amazed that this is Joe Burrow, who was the third string quarterback at Ohio State. I know I remember I was terrified that Urban was going to go with Joe Burrow and run him up the middle 50 times a game. And uh, we weren't going to have Dwayne Haskins. And uh, the other I have another question is just does you guys have any idea on what the vibe is with Mike uh, to have this team? Is he like super happy is is he like this was my plan you know all along um i just wondered at like how mike is holding up well i'm sure mike is loving this run as you know we don't get to hear from him but once a year but i'm yeah i'm I'm sure he's ecstatic about this and um even last year it didn't end the way they wanted but that that had to be very validating to make that run and and get to a super bowl for the first time with him in charge um as, as far as the the burrow thing i I'm I'm a big Ohio State fan and I root for him. I don't follow the the recruiting and all that. I I I really wasn't that aware of Joe Burrow when he was at Ohio State. And I to go further, I my son was at Ohio University and I went down there and as dads do, I took him shopping at Walmart to get a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, why in the hell are there all these LSU jerseys for sale in Athens, Ohio? And it wasn't just Burrow, it was Boston Moreau and all these others. And I, I took a picture of it and I sent it to, to Kat Terrell, who covered the, the Bengals for a while for, for ESPN is now, or is back at ESPN covering the Saints. And it just, I never put it together. I, I didn't realize, 
um, the, the whole trajectory of, of Joe Burrow until he started go- that, that amazing season at LSU. So I, it'd be really hard for me to go back and, and say what my thoughts were about Joe Burrow's usage at Ohio state. Cause I just, it just wasn't even on my radar. And I know, I guess that probably makes me a bad fan, but uh, busy, busy with other teams. Let's put it that way. Uh, that I will say this about Mike real quick. And I've, I've sort of come across him a couple of times. I think I wrote a cart with him at one point early in the year, but again, not long conversations and talking to people that are around. I mean, look, if the Bengals win, uh, Bengals are doing well. Mike's very happy, and he and he doesn't, you know, in general. And knowing him for a little while, how much I do, I do feel like he doesn't get caught up in the this was my plan all along. He's very much into let's make the best decisions every day. Let's let's you know have patience. Let's look to the future and see what that looks. I mean, it, I, I don't think it's like some grand vindication for him. I think he just appreciates a team that's winning and a city that is back behind the team again and everything that that's kind of created here. That's my perspective. Again, I I hope I look forward to talking to him again uh, soon in the near future uh, and, and bringing that to you guys because his his perspective certainly is interesting when you consider, you know, where this franchise has been. Let's go next and bring Brian B up onto the stage. Brian, what's going on? Awesome. So I have a little question regarding uh, playoff standings or seating, I guess, rather, and uh, a little imagine, if you will. Uh, Paul, since you'd like to do that. Uh, obviously, we don't want to overlook the Browns because they've had our number, and then obviously we need, still need to beat the Bucks. Uh, and the Patriots, but imagine if you will going or having Buffalo come here, uh, possibly pulling that game off, and then uh, the last game of the season with the uh, Baltimore Ravens, possibly for the division, but also the number one seed. I uh, just want to get you guys' thoughts on that. I mean, I don't think it's out of the question. Uh, I don't know about running the table seems a bit lofty. This is the first time they've ever won four in a row under Zach, so. You figure there's a stumble somewhere. It just it cannot be this week against Cleveland again. If if they fall to one and four in the division, and and Baltimore wins this week, I mean you can pretty much bank on them being a wild card at best and going on the road in the first round of the playoffs. And if your scenario does play out, and that game in week 18 is for the number one seed, I could I could easily see that being the game that gets flexed into the night. They like the win or go home aspect when they flex that, that final season. And I don't know that would be the case there. It would probably be uh win or go on the road as a wild card, but there's not it, just the way it's shaping up. There's not a lot of really intriguing matchups in week 18. And I, I think Bengals Ravens might be a front runner for that flex spot. Yeah, I would definitely would be a front runner for the flex spot. If, if uh, you know, if the Bengals are up one game, if it's even, those will, that will be a division winner game. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what it will be. You know, that that division tiebreak could come into play, but that's really in a scenario where both teams kind of tank a bit down the stretch because the Ravens would have to then would have to lose three division games. They're two and zero. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. That would include one to Cincinnati, and then you'd have to you know probably see them lose the next two here, Cleveland, and and so the Bengals have to win to get to three and three. So that at that point. You know, the Ravens have, what, seven losses? And at that point, they're 10 and seven. The Bengals would have really chunked this next stretch. Um, 
to, to end up in a tie where we're talking about that, you know, there's a possibility. If you look at, if you just look at how those two teams specifically are playing right now, and again, you can't take the schedule out of it, but you know, at this point, when you have now the, the downturn that we've seen lately from new England and from Brady and Tampa Bay a little bit, uh, the schedule looks a little bit more even than it previously did. I mean, yesterday was a big one. You had, you had mm-hmm. the, that is the AFC West uh, bottom versus the top difference. And to come out both with wins was really what you thought the biggest advantage was for Baltimore. And the Bengals kind of countered that. So um, it's going to be a matter of, of you know, I, there's a chance the Bengals could get too clear by the time that one comes. If you look at how teams are playing now, what happens to Lamar Jackson's injury. Um, and then at that point, you are talking about the number one seed, right? I mean, you're talking about yeah. – you're talking about tiebreakers, one back of teams that you've beaten Kansas City. In theory, to do this, you're going to have to beat Buffalo, but you get them into your house on Monday Night Football. You have tiebreakers. You have you have tiebreakers on all these teams. On t- you know Tennessee, you've beaten all these teams. Tennessee, the four seed right now at seven and five. Kansas City's the two seed at nine and three. Theoretically, you would have beaten Buffalo at nine and three. You can get there. Um, so it's not like. It's it's an impossible thing. Kansas City's schedule is weak. They should win a lot of games, but the Bengals, the way they're playing right now, have to feel the same. It would be a hell of a chase, man. It would be a hell of a chase down, but with the breakers now, there's a chance that number one seed is something they could get to. Football Outsiders has that at 9.3% right now uh, based on their Dave formula and their, their weighted DVOA. All right, let's uh, go next and bring Will Porter up onto the stage. Uh, Will, how are we doing? I'm doing well. I don't know why my whole name still shows up on this thing. Well, you're supposed <laughs> to be Will P. What's happening? You're exposed. I don't know. Nobody tried to look me your up. pants. Nope. Not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about interior line play. Um, last three games, you play, you face Cam Hayward, Jeffrey Simmons, and Chris Jones. And Bolson allowed one sack, one QB hit, and two hurries. Uh, for one, that's awesome. Um, with him and Karras and Kappa, it's like night and day versus last year. So it's been awesome to watch those guys develop. <coughs> Excuse me, and like really gel. And the, the way that the the pocket that Burrow is operating in is really unleashed. Like I think he should definitely be in the MVP conversation. Like we knew this was possible, but now it's like, it's ridiculous seeing him operate in a clean pocket. So in the immediate term, it's like looking at how much better the interior blocking has been and what that has unlocked for the offense, but also kind of at the macro level, it's nice that the Bengals finally hit on, a drafting uh, lineman for the first time in what feels like a decade. So just one of your thoughts on interior line play. Uh, well, thank, thank you for that. Um, covering this team, I do feel like I am a expert on interior line play just because it's discussed <laughs> more than maybe any, this topic on all 32 NFL teams. I mean, Bengals fans notably, understandably, frustratingly, uh, have been so uh, angry with that issue. I mean, it's been forever, right? I mean, since you mentioned it, they've hit. I mean, you got to go back to Zeitler. Uh, 
since you talk about a really uh, an offensive line pick that really, really worked out. Um, but what you have happening now, you know, what they did this offseason, this was it. I mean, this was why. And when, and when you know, we talk about Robert and Nate talking about sustainability, so much of that is exactly what you're talking about, is those three guys in particular creating those clean pockets, holding that middle for the most part. And, man, Cordell Volson – you know, playing so well as a rookie, all of those guys together is what creates sustainability. It's what allows Burrow to be efficient. It's what allows him to not just have, you know, time to throw. I mean, there were some of those plays yesterday where it's like two, three, four, you're counting. And he's, and he almost can't believe it. you see him looking side to side <laughs> and be like, no, I'll just stay, you know, and, and end up in the four or five second range almost on some of those, it seemed like. And, and not just that though, it's, it's the fact that, them winning at such a high rate, even when one breaks down, there's still lanes open for him to do what he does so well. Sneak out, extend the play, find the check down, or run it himself, or whatever that is. Um, it really unlocks him. There's 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 no question about it. And that has that has been the difference. And, you know, those guys are signed. Uh, and they're in their 20s. That is sustainability going forward. That is sustainability now. And it just it makes everything feel so much safer and uh, with your franchise quarterback for the long run when you know that you have that in place. Yeah, and it feels like we knew that this was it was going to get better. I mean, just Ted Karras, Alex Kappa's track record was too good. It was just going to be a matter of them coming together as a group. And the, the big question was Cordell Volson. And um, it did get off to a bit of a rough start, but just the way he's grown and kind of been taken under the wing by those those veterans that that has been um a really really nice surprise for this team and you know paul talked about it joe burrow is so good off script and on the run but he's just if he can just stand in there he's so lethal and and he's talked about it you saw it on that third and 11 yesterday if it's a guy coming off the edge and he sees him he 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 feels like he can number one make him miss if he has to and if he doesn't he will stand in there and take the hit and still deliver a, a great pass. It's when that pressure comes up the middle and forces him out of the pocket and to get on the run, even though he does make a lot of plays that way. That's not ideal. That's not the way they want to live. And they've, they've been able to get away, get away from that where they're, he's constantly running and, and trying to look down the field and, and make things happen spur of the moment. You just let him sit back in the pocket. Like you saw yesterday. I mean, that was, a great example. That's not the best defense in the league, but it's it's a very good team with a good defense. And if you give Joe Burrow that kind of time, you're you're just going to keep seeing more performances like that. I, I don't want to um, spend too much time going back into third and eleven here because we did talk <laughs> about it a lot in the walkout yesterday. Um, and it, and it should be talked about. I mean, honestly, I sat down after we got done with the walkout, Jay, and I said to you, I was like, God. I had this, I have so much great stuff about all these hustle plays and the sort of championship mm-hmm. fabric stuff that developed. And I feel like I just want to write 1500 words on third and 11 <laughs> here because it was, it's, there's so much to it. It was so good. It was such a quintessential Joe Burrow, why he's so good play. Mm-hmm. I was waiting and I'm so glad it, you know, we, the all 22 of the end zone came out. It's the one that I wanted to see. And I was kind of waiting on it. They never showed it, at least not that I saw on the broadcast. 
I mean, that angle shows you everything. The amount of muck <laughs> in front of him and what Joe is looking at with really he has a spy linebacker who looks strictly dedicated to knocking a pass down, which we've seen how many times, you know, the most batted down quarterback yeah. in the league. He has the undercrosser uh, guy who he's basically throwing just over and behind his head and then getting hit uh, by Dana who is coming right up under his chin and would have driven him to the ground if it wasn't for him being hit into Jonah Williams and Chris Jones, who was already in his lap on the other side and then dropping it over top of all of them into T Higgins, who had 0.5 yards of separation uh, (laughs) against Joshua Williams and making that contested catch, that call, that throw, that poise, that holding the ball, that accuracy, that moment, ridiculous. It is a ridiculous Burrow throw, one of the great throws I've ever seen him make, um, and I hope it gets the amount of run that it deserves. It probably it seems that it will, and it should, um, but it is that cold-blooded killer instinct stuff. Um, that is just just stupid, just stupid good. If you haven't seen the end zone, uh, all 22, uh, I highly recommend going and checking that out. All right, I'm going to not ramble on too much more. So many people have questions. Everybody's here. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, it's great to see so many people uh, in the live room. Let's go bring John O up onto the stage. John, what's going on? I want to talk about the running back room here a little bit. Was, I was surprised to see Mixon not play yesterday. Wondering if you guys see anything curious about that. And Joe's apparent trust in Samaje, from my perspective, I mean, it's going to be hard to put that guy on the bench in any for any period of time, I think. But ultimately, too, where does that leave Chris Evans, Travion Williams? I assume all four won't be up. Um, curious to get your thoughts on on the whole room in general. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't know. If there's anything curious going on with Joe. There, it's just the the concussions are are so hard to predict, and it is odd. For a guy to miss two games with a concussion, especially when he practiced all week, um, it, it could be just another one of those things where you know, they held Jamar Chase one more week than than just to be cautious. And that Samaje's playing so well, it's just giving Joe Mixon one more week. Um, as far as what happens when Joe does come back, that's a great question because Samaje's still going to be in there on third down. He's he's so good at pass pro and he's so good as we've seen as a receiver. I I don't know if they would go to the series by series. Uh, I mean, Joe Mixon's one of those guys that, and a lot of running backs are, that you, you just have to kind of keep slamming them up in there and let them develop a rhythm, and then things kind of break. As far as the ripple effect, that's really interesting because, you know, we see Chris Evans scores the game-winning touchdown yesterday. He played two snaps and had the game-winning touchdown. Um, Travion has taken over as the the kick returner, and – if, if there's an inactive choice that has to be made when Joe comes back and they're not going to go with all those guys active, which they, they could. But I, I think Chris Evans is the one that goes to the bench at this point if they're only going to ride with three on game day. Yeah, I mean, the idea of keeping somebody up to, you know, what, for three snaps a game or one very mm-hmm. unique package uh, when you don't really do much of anything else is probably not going to happen. When, and Travion, you know, had that really nice reception in Tennessee, yeah. you know, I think has shown a little, some growth with his hands as far as doing that type of stuff. He's got speed. 
I, I, I'm with you. Travion is ahead of Chris Evans. And I, so when that push to, to, does come to shove there, I, that would be the direction that I would see that going. The Mixon thing, you know, he was not cleared by the doctors uh, for this game. I mean, they didn't clear him out of the concussion protocol. That's the rare thing. That's the weird mm. thing. Um, it's just so odd. You just you always see that traditional progression through the protocol during the week where you go from out to practicing even in a limited capacity. And eventually at the end of the week, you have to pass the final uh, baseline test to get back clear. It appears that's where the problem occurred uh, and he wasn't able to come back when he does come back. I know we, we talked it kind of dove into these numbers last week when that discussion came up. I think it was on the Tuesday pod, Jay. And, you know, it was – and people don't realize this, but Mixon, you know, since week six, and they kind of really got everything going, was first in the league in rushing efficiency. Um, you know, he, he, the, they, he had the five touchdowns. So it wasn't just one game. It wasn't just one game of explosives. I mean, there was a lot – of evidence of him playing well. I think the difference is where you'll see P Ryan come in more maybe, or, or have a role expanded would continue to be those second middles, you know, the second down plays. How much does that package turn into more P Ryan centric when you're throwing it more consistently, you trust him as a running back. And that's such a big thing for Burrow. One story I remember when he came out and talking about just his style of game, early on in his career was how much he loved Clyde Edwards Hilaire because he was just always in the right spot. He's, he, if he's going out to the check down, you know, he would run it exactly the same way. He'd be right there. And I think that reliability and trust that you've seen is why Burrow has had so much success finding that with Pirine, whether it be the check downs, whether it be you know that stuff when he's scrambling, there's just, it always seems to go, you know, smoothly in that nature. And I'm not saying that it doesn't with Mixon, but you know, there does seem to be a little bit more trust in that area. And that's where I think if you're talking about a percentage of snaps, the, the sense that I got, that's what you'd be looking at. Is that's maybe where things would change. I wouldn't see some sort of base down that would change. I mean, Mixon's still crazy dynamic as a rusher. He can still bring you an explosion that Pirine just can't. Pirine brings you a lot, man. And that stiff arm is going to be sh- going to continue to be shown uh, two straight weeks. And he's, he's a bully. And, that, and and his pass pro is fantastic, but you know I do think the explosiveness as a base down back I think still think belongs to Mixon when he comes back. But it's great to know that you have the other guy there in this league now. You got to have both. I mean, you just you got to have more than one running back anymore. And uh, the Bengals are lucky to have that. All right, let's just take a quick break. Let's go next to uh, Ben D and bring Ben up on the stage. Uh, what's going on? Hey guys, you got you got me okay? Sure yes. do. How's it going? Not too bad, not too bad. I want to talk about the uh, the defense a little bit. Paul, you talked on the walkout about like the hustle plays and Jermaine Pratt and kind of the linebacking core a little bit. Obviously, the defensive line made uh, Patrick Mahomes' life pretty difficult, especially at the end of the game there. But I want to hear your thoughts about the uh, the secondary because obviously you know, keeping him in the pocket. Part of that is on the secondary, but also there were plenty of like big chunk plays down the field all day yesterday. So um, I'm wondering how that, how you see that holding up. <clears throat> oh, sorry. <laughs> um, oh, I wonder how you see that like holding up as we see, you know, 
you know, bigger, you know, receivers coming down the line with uh, Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis for the Bills, and even, you know, Amari Cooper next week with a much better quarterback than he had on the Monday night game. Sure. No, I appreciate the question, Ben. You know, I, I was most interested on Sunday to see how the corners and how the secondary held up. It felt like the, it was the first real challenge against a real dude for them, you know, arguably all year outside of a few minor spots. And, you know, I thought they held up. Well, I mean, look, Mahomes is going to get some now. I mean, and, and he, he threw, he threw those up against blitzes, the two, two biggest chunks in particular, you know, the MVS deep balls, um, they were contested. Now, granted, they, they were great contested plays, and there were guys open occasionally, but a lot of that was kind of, you know, uh, some, some Anarumo aggressiveness. Um, but as a whole, you know, I, I thought for the most part they did a decent job of, of holding them down. You know, the one thing was we talked about, I wrote about Cam Taylor Britt in great detail last week. Mo had the Cam Taylor Britt game sign <laughs> on, the, on the podcast. I did not hardly notice him. And that is the greatest compliment I can offer is that they weren't picking on him. He wasn't exposed. Uh, he was in the right spots. You know, it, it wasn't a thing where, Oh, there's a second round rookie out there. Uh, who's just getting lit up and they're just, they're working stuff against him. It never felt like that in the slightest. And I think that is a, is a massive deal how he came out of this game. And I don't know, I don't even, do, I don't think the PFF grades are even out yet. I don't know what they're going to say. I'll be curious to talk to Lou a little bit more about what he thought about how he played. But, you know, the fact that he seemed to really hold his own and not be a liability against Patrick Mahomes and that offense, I thought was a huge deal for what this team can still be the rest of the season. Yeah, just how much Lou blitzed in that game. You, it, you mm-hmm. don't blitz Patrick Mahomes just like you don't blitz Joe Burrow, and he did. He came after him. That shows an incredible amount of faith and trust in CTB in particular, in that whole secondary overall. And I mean, do you realize how close Mo was to being right to us calling this the Cam Taylor Britt game? I mean, Patrick Mahomes barely breaks the plane of the goal line for that touchdown. Otherwise, that's a forced fumble by Cam Taylor Britt. Huge play. Then he almost had a pick. Jesse Bates kind of ran. They they were both right there. He had his hands on that ball. Um, But he he did. He played really well. And I kind of I disagree a little bit that. They had the 42 and the 29 yarder where they beat the blitz and Mahomes is going to get that. They didn't have a pass play over 18 after those two. If, if you go into a game and you say Patrick Mahomes is going to have two passes of more than 18 yards, you would sign up for that every single day. And this team has uh, had a tendency to to have some miscommunication and given up uh, some chunk plays. And I, I thought they were terrific yesterday. I, I would you don't want a 42 and a 29, but if you're zero blitzing, you got to live with that. Uh, again, Patrick Mahomes is going to hit a couple of those. And as you said, Paul, the, the coverage wasn't bad. They, it wasn't blown assignments where guys are running wide open. And I think that's part of the reason that, that Lou 
took those chances because Cam Taylor Britt is such a good tackler. And, and he had faith that even if Patrick Mahomes was going to hit some of those, they weren't going to turn into touchdowns. The, the DBs were going to get the guy on the ground and they were going to live for another series of downs and, and try to at worst force a field goal and at best rip the ball out of Travis Kelsey's hands and, and turn him over. And um, I just, I thought it was a great, great performance by the DBs and a great schematic performance by Lou. And make sure we mention Eli Apple too, who yep. you know is the same same concept. I mean, guy who was going to be benched, who they were going to play CTV over, and and it, certainly we know all the criticism that's been directed at him since that has happened, since the Cheeto injury, he has played really well, and he has he has really kind of you know um, stepped into a spot and risen up um, when they absolutely needed him to. So he's he's very much a part of that equation too uh all right uh let's go we're close to the end i see natasha b is here so we get to hear from hawaii that's going to be exciting let's try to crank out a few more here real quick and bring daniel b you are up with me now what's going on awesome how are you guys doing doing good. great what's going on uh good uh, pretty quick question you know uh before this game uh i think there's a string of a couple games where we lost the toss and uh just by i feel like the what tends to happen is we, we got the ball first because the other team deferred. Uh, so I guess I was a little surprised to see us still take the ball first, even though that was our track record before those uh, lost coin tosses. Do you think that's a product of, you know, keeping up with Mahomes? You know, I, it's not like they're a type of team that can get game scripted out because they're always back. But I just wonder, um, you know, or do you think this is just a, a sticking point for Zach and the team this season is that they just want to get off on the right foot and, kind of, you know, get themselves some positive momentum. Um, Cause you know, I think there's still this inherent value to doubling up at half and then getting the ball. Um, yeah. Sorry. A little too long winded, but just want to get your thoughts on if this is just going to be a trend that continues for the rest of the season and uh, hopefully through the playoffs. Well, you're right. There is a, there is great value in that doubling up, but I think this was a case of, and maybe we can ask Zach about it today, but the, they had to come from way back the last two times they played the Chiefs, and they they knew if they took the ball first, they could go out, set the tone, and kind of change that whole path and and get a lead and not have to. Work. And there's no guarantees. I mean, there could be a turnover, there could be a punt on that first possession, but they probably felt really good about their script, and they should have. It looked great that that for opening drive was just zip zip right down the field. The other thing that I think is interesting is. Maybe against a Patrick Mahomes, you, you're more willing to give up that middle eight double dip because if the opponent gets the ball first to start the second half, the odds are you're going to have it last. And yeah, things can play out. It, 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 there's no guarantee of that, but the odds would be in your favor. And, and I wonder how much of that they were looking at as well. Feels like a spreadsheet fest to me, Jay. Time to do a little deep dive into how, what percentage of teams that get the ball first in the third quarter end up having it last at the end of the game. I need these numbers. I'm, 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 I'm interested now. You, you perked my interest. Uh, Gave myself all right. homework. I, I wanna, I do wanna thank everybody for coming in here, but we do have to kind of wrap it up. We've got to get our stuff together and get down to the stadium uh, for availabilities with uh, coordinators and coaches and players day off today uh but we still will get a couple of guys on zoom for you plenty of content coming this week but we have to end it as we always do by going to hawaii it's early in the morning 
And our good friend, Natasha B is out here. Natasha, what is going on? How are things in Hawaii? Ah, there's the sound of the waves that I need to hear. (laughs) There you go. Sorry about that. So um, I guess I just had something to say. I just think tip of the cap to Duke Tobin and his guys. I mean, I feel like this was when the Bengals were supposed to falter, right? No Cheeto, no Jamar, no Joe Mixon. The schedule is getting tough. And they're ascending because guys like CTB, Samaje, Trenton Irwin are stepping in there and making plays. The line looked great yesterday. And I just think this team is really deep and really well constructed. And the drafting and the free agent pickups have been incredible. And I just think that we got to hand it to him. And I also wanted to say that yesterday... Hayden Hurst goes down early, and I feel like the Bengals got a little pettiness to them, and there was Twitter beef, and they wanted him involved. And he went down, and and I say this tongue-in-cheek, but long snapper Mitchell Wilcox is catching passes. So, like, <laughs> it just feels like nothing can stop this team. And even with uncharacteristic penalties and mistakes and injuries, the Bengals beat the Chiefs, and they could have really beat the Chiefs. And it just feels like a great time to be a Bengals fan. Natasha, you bring the good vibes, as I would expect you to do from the Big Island. Thank you so much. It's a great point. Uh, it's great to hear from you. I always look forward to it ending this way. I want to address your comment about Duke Tobin, who would appreciate this. Um, amazing. You know, when, when, the, when the draft picks stink, right? First call on this live room would be what they Duke Tobin his they drafted like crap right but when when the guys come through consistent when the next wave right so last year we talked a lot about that that wave of roster depth that helped them along as the season went by whether it was you know what they got out of Trey Flowers covering tight ends Clay Johnston you know bringing down Henry in Tennessee any number you know draft picks that that paid off from last year immediately. You know, we saw that, and but you worry, you wondered about this. What's the next wave look like? What what is this class going to bring? There's some so many unproven's sitting there. If if you don't continue to pay that off, if those drafts don't continue to bring it, uh, you're exposed. And they have had an opportunity to be exposed in recent weeks. And you're exactly right, Natasha. I mean, they have come through, whether we're talking about the Volson pick, whether we're talking about how CTV has come through, whether we're talking about the free agency spends on the line, you know, Joseph Osai yesterday. I mean, so many of these guys are guys that we haven't seen if those picks would pay off. There were unknowns about the next wave of Bengals football because they, you know, you're certainly going to need that. And those personnel guys continue to hit, continue to find fits that make sense for this team, that fit in with this team stylistically, schematically. And uh, you, you've seen it pay off in recent weeks. You certainly saw it pay off yesterday where you had a lot of those guys making an impression in big spots. Yeah, she mentioned Mitch Wilcox, an undrafted free agent that they brought in and playing valuable snaps now. And yes, he had the catch. And he was the one Paul referenced that the muck in the middle on third and 11. And if he doesn't run that route precisely, he is in the way. Um, or if he sticks his hand up there and possibly deflects it on its way to T. Higgins. So, uh, yeah, he wasn't involved in that play, but credit to him. 
um, on on running the route as it was directed and leaving that line of sight open for for Burrow to to make the pass to T Higgins. It is that early in the year. I felt like this was a Super Bowl caliber starting lineup, which is obvious. They they, they were just coming off of a, a Super Bowl appearance. And I wasn't so sure it was this overall Super Bowl roster. And again, I've been proven wrong. They, every guy that they've called on, um, whether it be for injury or for other reasons to come in and add, add more stat snaps and a bigger role has really come through from them. And I, I think that's a great point, Natasha. And they haven't even had to call on their first round pick. You know, I mean, that <laughs> Hill has just continued to sit around in the background wondering if anybody ever gets hurt on this team. And, you know, and hang out. And so, yeah, that, that on top of everything else. So, uh, certainly, uh, more kudos belong to, uh, Duke Tobin, Mike Potts, Seymour Disovich, the entire team over there for, um, you know, what they've been able to do, uh, and, and finding a way to put this team together. And it's, uh, what, like we said when we opened this, they are where I think they thought, where most people thought they should be come this time of year now it's a matter of playing out there's still a long way to go jay yes there we're, is we're, it's, it's december 5th okay that is <laughs> you know last year we were covering a game uh 10 weeks from this point so long go ahead and go back 10 weeks from where we are today and what, what the conversations were and how things were viewed it's very different things can change but for the today uh the Bengals are in the top tier of the nfl they're as much a contender as anybody in the league. Um, and, you know, week to week's pretty fun right now. Like, it's just, they're in a, <laughs> you're in a series of interesting games, and they're a very interesting team, and their quarterback uh, is just on fire. All right. Uh, thanks to everybody for coming in. This is great to do this again. It's great to see so many uh, people in here, whether it's in the chat, dropping into the questions. We're going to try to keep these going as we're on a more regular schedule for now uh and, and as it's getting later in the year so keep keep an eye out for them as we go by of course we'll have the regular podcast tomorrow our thursday preview and then the walkout against cleveland on sunday is our schedule so we hope you will check back in with us uh thanks to everybody for listening and we will talk to you next time have a good one everybody 